Welcome to Dead to Edges Network Leadership Podcast Series. Andrew Hewitt is my name, Public Affairs and Communications Head for Australia and New Zealand. Today, as we continue to roll through the leadership team across our fantastic business here in Australia and New Zealand, I'm joined by probably one of the most uh, intriguing uh, yet inspiring young leaders across the business. Intriguing because he runs a part of Dentsu Aegis Network that I had no idea about before I arrived. And inspiring because he's already been decorated as being one of the top leaders across our industry in last year's 40 Under 40. I'm talking about the Managing Director for Amnet, Indy Carbra. A very warm welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Um, and of course, we, we are in the Melbourne studio. Uh, you're based in Sydney. Um, but judging by the accent, I'm assuming that you haven't always been based in Sydney. So I wonder if we can start by just getting a little bit of your backstory, a little bit about your schooling, university, and then maybe early work life, if yeah, that's all right. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm definitely not Australian, though I uh, just got my Australian uh, citizenship. So congratulations. Pretty happy about that. Um, Fantastic. I, you know, been here for five years now, but originally from, from Vancouver, Canada. And um, I started in um, really growing up um, wanting to be a, a soccer player as young kids would. And yep. so I grew up playing sp- uh, sports and fortunate enough to play at a, at, a, um, at a high level of soccer and was able to travel and, and live in four countries playing soccer. So, so when you're saying so a high, a high level, how, what, in, in what capacity? Was it national teams, junior teams, college? Um, national team for Canada. Wow. Yeah. And um, and then after that, you know, moved over to the UK and lived there for a few years playing. And um, What division? Uh, it's uh, Division 1, which is still not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the a, championship. The championship, correct. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, played for a couple of teams there. Which um, ones? We're going to have a few soccer mad fans who are going to be hating on me. And you're not yeah, bragging, yeah, yeah. mate, but no, that's fascinating. No. I didn't know that. So Yeah. I um, Huddersfield? No, I no. played for a team called Port Vale, yep. which uh, is a team owned by Robbie Williams, yep. the singer. Uh, so I played there for, for a couple of years and then moved over to France and, and played a year in France. And then I know you have never mentioned this <laughs> and we've had a few dinners together. It is a true. A couple of award ceremonies, you never talk about it. If oh. I'd have done it, it's all I'd be talking about. <laughs> Even one game. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, it was a great. Wow. Uh, it, it's a, it was a great growing up. I really enjoyed it. I moved to Mexico. I played there for a year. Uh, that was fantastic. And then um, went into corporate finance. Um, did a lot of wealth management. So you were studying while studying you were while I was playing. Playing, yeah. And where did you study? Uh, university of Simon Fraser. Okay. Yeah, which is a university in Vancouver. Okay. And uh, as I played, I'd play from eight to three during the day. And I'd do correspondence in the evenings. So I'd get my books sent to me and I'd study in the evenings. And um, then I you know, got to a point where I decided I wanted to get into the real world and, and uh, leave uh, the world of soccer. And uh, so I went into... into Didn't think about world. coaching? You never, did you, never thought about going into coaching or you just always wanted to explore the business side of things? Yeah, right. I'm too competitive. Uh, you know, you're only allowed 11 players on the field and I, you know... <laughs> If I was a coach, I'd, out there. yeah, I, you know, having that 12th person out there, I don't think it's going to be a good idea. So, yeah, I haven't gone into coaching, but maybe in the future I might, yeah. Um, I'm a little bit shocked, mate. We, we didn't even, I mean, we do a little bit of briefing notes, but I had no idea. Yeah. I've been like 
the company of some form of greatness. I'm going to have to Google it. Maybe I'll Google it while we're on air. Um, Robbie Williams being the team owner, were there any karaoke nights? Did you? Did, did <laughs> no, but down? no, but uh, there. You know, he's he he's loves actually, his soccer. He's, he's a got really a good pitch in his back. He's backyard a really good and, footballer. Yeah, he's very very good. Um, and there was a few. There's a few times where we where I where I saw Rod Stewart come and play with Robbie Williams, which is you know, which is pretty pretty. Uh, Pretty cool to see. What you reckon? Yeah, and because yeah, yeah. oh, they're competitive as well. I remember there was a sixty minutes episode yes. um, where the, the the cameras were interviewing Rod Stewart, and it was I'm not sure if it's the same one, but Rod and Robbie would would often go over to each other's houses. I mean, I don't know how close they live to each other or how that works, but yeah, no, just come around and, and have a kick on. Yeah, the- they're they're both really mad soccer fans or, or football fans, and and definitely uh, uh, there was a few occasions where, where I saw them around and about. But it was it was really a great experience. And final success? Did you have any final success at any of the teams? Did you get to taste the ultimate glory of lifting the cup? Well, um, not necessarily. I don't. I, I you know it's a. Uh, my success to that was I wanted to play professionally yep. and that was my success. Yep. Um, you know, I started playing when I was four years old and, you know, I think I played at least 30 years of, you know, playing every day. Whenever I had a chance, I had the soccer ball with me. I slept with it, you know, with, with my soccer ball. I took it to school with me. It yeah. was, it was, it was everything that I wanted. Um, and so, you know, fortunately enough, I was able to go and um, play for teams like Aston Villa and, and, and Derby County, which at that time were in the Premier League. Yeah. But, um, but you wanted to be on the pitch. And There's I wanted a, to be on the pitch, I've, yeah. Yeah, I've got a um, – not to bring it back to me, mate. We'll keep talking about you, but a mate of mine at the moment is playing <laughs> for the for the Socceroos and um, he's had a couple of opportunities to get into Premier League lists yeah. but not be part of the starting 11 or stay in the championship yeah, and be part of the starting eleven. Yeah. Um. Likewise, he's had some offers from China, which I'm mm. sure, if you're still involved in the industry, you know they've just thrown cash around willy nilly. Absolutely. So it's a difficult decision, mate. You know, like he's 21, same as you, lived and breathed footy his whole life, yeah. and scored a goal for the Socceroos in his first game. So it's oh, amazing. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Irvine, so I mean, keep an eye, keep an eye out for him. And sorry, sorry to go back to me, no, but I'm, no, I'm no, just, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm watching you talk about it, and I didn't mean for it to be a leading question or, no, sure. or to suggest that holding the cup aloft is. Um, d- d- determines his success because sure. I know the road to getting there. Yeah, um, is actually like you say, it's the success in itself. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, when we were at the um, the marketing um, conference just the other day, and I, yep. and I saw Ministry you, of Sports Marketing yeah, Conference, and I saw yeah. you there as well. And there was there was actually, uh, I believe the um, uh, the gentleman that was presenting was was sharing about the key traits of uh, successful either professional sports or in, 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 in the working world. And it kind of came back to um, objectives, strategy, and tactics. And, you know, if you think of, you know, even in my world, when I kind of played soccer, I always thought this was my objective, this was my strategy, this was my tactic. If I wanted to get fitter, I knew I had to go to the gym six days a week, and I knew that exactly the tactical exercise I needed to do. And you continue to apply that, whether that's sports or work or, you know, your daily tasks or whatever that is. It allows you to keep focus, but then it allows an outcome and you can be able to monitor yourself as well. So I think it's a really interesting, you know, that learning uh, when we were at the conference and he was saying it's, you know, uh, OST and it's it's a trait that's uh, within everybody that yeah. is truly ultra successful in sports. And um, yeah, and I believe in that for sure. 
Well, and look, we'll get to the correlation between sort of sport leadership and the leadership role you're taking now. Sort of you touched on it there, but I'd be keen to see, um, I don't know, if you have a bit of indoor soccer for your team days or whatever, Dang. just so the, the competitor in you can make sure you smash the other guys because yeah. you've got quite an eclectic, cultural, diverse, um, international mix of people within the team at Amnet. So I'm sure there oh, are people absolutely. who have picked your brain about soccer ad nauseum. Yes. If you've told anyone about it, because I get the feeling you've kind of kept it a little bit under wraps. So you- yeah, it's not, you know, it's not something, my personality, of course, I, you know, I wouldn't be going out and shouting, shouting that. You're from a very the, modest man. From, 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 the, from the rafters. We've but- got to shake that out of you, mate. And I'll do that as of today. We'll be, we'll, we'll be sharing this yeah. on social and making sure we add almost everyone you played with in the previous uh, and teams. And-, and Andrew, I did go out recently and uh, look, you know, the touch is there, but the lungs aren't. So... <laughs> Um, all right, so we got a bit d- d- distracted there, but you, so your sporting career finishes at around about 29, 28? Uh, no, it was a bit it later was, than that? Um, earlier than that, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, it was about 23, 24. Oh, right. Yeah, so... So what, you must have started... So 18. What, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so 17, 18, right through to 22, 23. Okay, and then you then you make the switch to finance. I make my switch to finance, yeah. Who, who was that with? So um, I was work, started working with the large financial institutions in, in the larger financial t- institutions in Canada. Yep. And what I wanted was a grasp of the different areas. So whether that was wealth management, whether that was lending, whether that was uh, personal finance, um, I wanted to get a full view and then try to pick and choose where the areas that I was more attracted to. Yep. Um, and what I ended up deciding to do was resign. Um, as, as you would. As you yep. would. And I basically said to myself, uh, I think I want to do this for myself. And um, so I went in and resigned. And one of the best decisions I ever made, I left, I uh, went to my parents' uh, home and sat down and said, I have no idea where my next paycheck is going to come from. And, awesome. uh, you know, and this is, and I think I sat there for probably the rest of the day contemplating what I've just done. But um, the next thing I knew, I was creating an idea. I was, crea- I was creating um, business a business plan. I was creating you know a marketing plan. I was creating um, logos, um, slogans, uh, targeted targeted um, customers. Uh, I was having this amazing creative uh, opportunity to to create my future. And uh, what I decided to do was started to target. Um, small media enterprise CEOs because so your business was online so effectively it was a solely digital business it, it was um, consultancy to a small medium enterprise CEOs yep. uh, in wealth management because they spent majority of the time working on their businesses and they didn't have enough time to actually get the right advice that they were looking for and when they went to individual institutions each institution said, our product is the best. Yeah. Our product is the best. Yeah. And our product is the best. So I brought that agnostic approach to uh, wealth wealth management and financial planning for um, small medium enterprise CEOs. And um, I'm feeling remarkable. <laughs> feeling remarkably overwhelmed by your story, and also, uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, wondering what I've been doing my entire life. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So this is all by twenty five. Now you started up your own business. You've got your own brand. Yes. And, clientele um, was it easy to pick them up? Being a younger person, did it was very soccer, hard. It was soccer didn't open the doors for you. Didn't no, find it, no, no, it, it didn't. Uh, but I had mentors, and I think um, that's a that's a really important learning. Um, 
as you progress in, in, in what I, in my career, I've always had mentors, uh, sports mentors, uh, business coaches. Um, and even, you know, as you progress, I think it's always, uh, a, a great idea to align yourself with some with an individual who has experience that you can learn from, and I'm a big believer in that. And and I had mentors around me who supported me in that time, which was great um, because, you know, as any entrepreneur entrepreneur would know, you are wearing ten different hats, and you know, with that comes a significant amount of learning, and a lot of that learning, you know, you you grow and you and it's kind of trial and error, and that didn't work, and let's try this better, and you continue to tweak and, and make things uh, more more effective, and um, uh, that's kind of you know what I was uh, what I was doing at that time, and I transitioned from from finance into media and into advertising because uh, we I had a, a someone from a magazine come and say would you like to advertise in our magazine? So effectively print advertising. And I remember sitting there um, as, this, as this individual did a sales pitch um, for his magazine, it's a great magazine, and I was thinking, how will I know if somebody looks at my advertisement in the front of the back page or you know, the front of the front page or inside of the back page? Yeah. Um, you know, you go to the supermarket, you pick up a magazine, you might flick through it, you might not get and see that ad. So I thought to myself, it has to be a better way to do this. Um, so what I decided to do, and uh, I was reading a lot of finance blogs on a regular basis, and I thought to myself, if I'm reading these finance blogs, surely enough, the CEOs mm -hmm. yeah. of the businesses I'm targeting are reading these finance blogs, or could be. So I said to my friend who was, who was uh, managing the blog, can you put... The phone, the phone, my phone number of my business on that blog, because I think that's my audience. And surely enough, at the bottom of the blog, he put a little square ad with my phone number in it, and people started calling me. But not only, just not anyone, the the exact people that I wanted to 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 target with my business and my and services. What year, so what what year is this we're talking about? This is two thousand and six. Okay, right. Yeah, two thousand and six. So scary to think that's 11 years ago. That's and we 11 were looking years. at blogs and wondering if a call to action would work, yeah. which of course now, absolutely. Absolutely. And at that time, I didn't know that that was display advertising. Yeah. I didn't know that that was digital media. And I, and I, and I really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I just theoretically put practical rationale around it. And um, after that, I was fascinated with digital. I, I literally um, would spend all night learning about ad servers, um, technology, ad networks, uh, buying media, selling media. Um, it was, I was just, I, I was just um, so shocked by how quickly I could get a, uh, somebody to call me with that type of um, advertisement. Yeah. And I knew it was a better way to do it than the print than print advertising. And no offense know, to our print no, friends out there. <laughs> no offense to our print advertising because you know uh, I grew up reading the sports with my cup of coffee or yep. my cup of tea every day, and I still do that. Um, so there's there's definitely an audience for. Sorry, print. Matt, I was not, you, don't, you don't need to be completely apologetic. It's, it's that's my role. You're I fine. am very apologetic. <laughs> so I think I'm Canadian. That's why. So, so ten years ago, yes, that, the journey towards the, the, the path to digital and your career where it sits now within 
I mean, digital is absolutely at the core of yeah. Amnet. Yeah. Um, begins. Yeah. And, and um, so did you drop everything with your business and dive headlong into digital media or, or how did it work? Yeah. Yeah, literally. Right. I, um, what, because it became a passion for you? It was a passion for yeah. me. Yeah. It was an, it was a, an immediate interest for me. Cause, um, and so, you know, as I started to move away and wind away from, well, you know, a business that I was really um, proud of and built, but I took a lot of the learnings out of that and that's helped me progress as well in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm super happy that I made that decision of, of do, going out and doing it on my own and my own merit. Um, but, you know, if you think of the world of programmatic as we see it now, um, the technology providers really launched in 2007. Um, AppNexus, which is a very large programmatic uh, player from a technology perspective, launched in 2007. MediaMath, another uh, technology provider and programmatic, launched in 2007. Uh, Invite Media was acquired by Google in 2007. So fortunately for me, uh, 2006 was the the right time. Yeah, yeah. So... So uh, ten years of programmatic, and we'll get to so uh, Indy, we, we, our people very know, and the media industry obviously know programmatic very well. But sure. this is going um, outside of our business, so we will need to get to the point where we break down exactly what you never told me that is, before. But that's okay. <laughs> so uh, ten years ago, you decide to go on this journey. Where's the next place of employment? To put uh, you on the spot, yeah. So 2007, or you decided to sure. look deeper into this? Did yeah. you go and work for an agency? Uh, no, I um, I worked for an SEO business. Right. So um, doing display advertising and um, looking at the world of uh, ad networks. This is um, essentially right before our real time bidding technology and programmatic really started to take off. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was buying and selling media uh, and learning display ad networks and the, and the world of, of that. And then in uh, 2008, 2000, around 2008, um, I met a, um, a business out of Australia that said, um, hey, you know, it would be really interesting for you if you uh, came over to Australia. Right. Um, and I said, no, you know, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing right now and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and the funny enough, the same situation happened two years later right. uh, where I was at a conference in New York and a business from Australia, uh, for some reason, um, came up to me and said, you know, uh, would you be interested in doing something similar in Sydney? Uh, which I said at that time. I think it's an opportunity for me to explore and Why see, see Sydney. Yeah. Um, Spiders and sharks and crocodiles. Absolutely. Everything you guys talk about as if it was sort of kangaroos hopping down the street and you're going to get attacked by a shark. It's really true. It's, <laughs> so you made the move to Sydney. I made, my, I made the move to Sydney, um, which was at the uh, end of 2011. Right. And um, at the end of 2011... Uh, I launched a, a global independent programmatic trading desk uh, with offices um, primarily based in Sydney and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, so every get th- to go uh, every visit? Th- every three weeks, I would what? be in Argentina. Jeez. Um, and then we expanded that uh, global. Never been there. Is it be- a beautiful? It's, it's, yeah, it's, right. It's a, they're surprised you came back. To be honest, mate. 
Yeah, I yeah. get it. Yeah. I, the way you're looking at me says enough. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful place, beautiful people. Good. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, football, red wine, and steak. What can you? What can go wrong? Lovely. Yeah. So and obviously that went really well. That did go very well, and this was just before. Um, the agencies or the holding groups around the world decided that this programmatic evolution is going to be the future and we need to play a bigger part in it. And um, that's when you start to see the agencies build out their agency trading desks. And as that happened, the independent trading desk world, um, the budgets started to diminish because they were staying within the holding groups and the service levels and the um, opportunities weren't as... Uh, available in the independent space. Yeah, right. And there was so consolidation was happening at that time. Okay. And to be honest, to be fair, um, I was traveling quite a bit, and yep. uh, you know, my Australian wife kind of said, "Hey, it might be an opportunity for you to stay in Australia for a longer period than three so weeks." So, so had you met your Australian wife overseas, or you when so you moved to Sydney in two thousand eleven? Yeah, and then you meet or, or got married early, or you had met. So when you say your Australian wife, you weren't married when she was asking to come back or was it a <laughs> shotgun wedding or <laughs> we were um we 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 were in vancouver together all oh, right and then we moved to sydney together okay as well, which made the move a little bit easier absolutely yeah. and is she from sydney no she's from north queensland oh right yes so Gee. therefore i'm a cowboys fan yeah and uh i'm a maroon supporter okay <laughs> don't hold oh, me to beauty. that <laughs> well we'll get into the personal stuff but i really want to get your lowdown on programmatic yeah, so of course. again of course. i've been exposed to this industry um Pretty much for only eight months, hmm. um, being relatively new to particularly the digital environment. I worked within a PR agency uh, that we own, Haystack, uh, around about five or six years ago. Hmm. Um, so, um, and I do get programmatic now because obviously you and the team have really taken me through what it means, but pretend I don't. Sure. I come to you and I say, I'm thinking about using programmatic as a way to grab the attention of consumers or our customers. Hmm. What do you tell me about programmatic? Well, the fundamentals of programmatic is um, you take, if you look at media, technology, and data as the three core ingredients of uh, doing programmatic. And um, it is, if you think of the old way of buying media, or sorry, I should say, I, I should say, um, if you think of how traditional media is bought, you have um, an RFP, you, you negotiate um, what the what what the the buy would look like, um, and then you would do an insertion order, and then you would deliver the campaign. It's there's still quite a lot of manual process in place there. Yep. It's very difficult to scale uh, media buying when we're continually doing it in the insertion order way. Yep. Um, so then we were able to move to technology that was able to streamline that and automate the way we buy media using technology. Yep. And with that, uh, we were able to actually look at how we were able to use data. And now that is how we're seeing the effect of programmatic because programmatic is essentially a way of buying media and data is now allowing us to do that in an environment where it's the right place at the right time to the right individual. So no real human side to programmatic as a leading question? Yeah, no. Um, and I get that question a lot. Uh, programmatic is, um, and I, you know, I think I said it uh, before. It's it's based on technology, right? Um, it's a technology-driven, data-driven uh, proposition. But you need 
the individuals, you need the people, you need the expertise to be able to make decisions around budgets, uh, strategy, uh, creative. Machine learning and AI, though, is absolutely trying to get front and centre in this space in terms of getting closer to being able to be that human side. Sure. And I agree. And I think the biggest benefit for programmatic and machine learning which is already happening on a regular basis with technology. Well, can, there's case studies everywhere, aren't there? Exactly, I mean, exactly. Pitting human against machine already. Exactly. With and varying results, it's fair to say. Fair to say, it is. Um, but the amount of data, and I'm just going to go back to that piece again as well, the ability to scale and effectively use data, it's um, very difficult for an individual to be able to do that. And therefore, we need to leverage technology to be able to scale and to be able to target audiences, to be able to utilize data and to be able to um, have the outcomes at the scale that we're looking to, to achieve. And AI supports that, but the levers are still being pulled by humans. As we progress, the efficiencies will evolve, but the decision making, we still need that human touch involved into that. Is everyone on board with programmatic? When you, when you, when you roll out technologies like this one, mm. sometimes you might have an experience where it works. Sure. Sometimes you might have an experience where it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, um, I suppose the point I'm getting to is sure. if some people have had an experience with programmatic two or three years ago, yeah. what, what would they notice as the key difference now? Yeah. So, so if they did have a view that I'm not doing it, I've tried it, yeah. don't like it, going to stick with what I'm doing. Yeah. If you had them back in the room again and the chance to reintroduce them to programmatic, what would be the different sort of conversation you'd have? I think uh, as any proposition, uh, the benefits and the values. Um, sometimes uh, something new like programmatic, which in a, in a lot of ways it's still maturing. Yep. And um, you know, if you looked at the SMI growth reports, you know, 100% year-on-year growth, um, you know, average um, share of digital is increasing where programmatic is taking, uh, evolving and taking the line share. You're seeing uh, programmatic move into different channels like TV, uh, automation out, out of home. You're seeing audio and uh, with all the great partners that the Dentsu Aegis Network has, there's yeah. a lot of um, really strong positive conversations around programmatic and, and the future of media buying. Um, and I think the conversation with uh, individuals who are experiencing programmatic for the first time or perhaps, you know, um, not entirely there with programmatic. Yep. Um, I think the simplicity piece is really important. Um, it can become very complex uh, depending on how you navigate it. There is, it's, it's, the, it's the language of acronyms. You have DSPs and SSPs and yep. DMPs and RTB. Um, and you know, uh, there, there's, there's an easy question mark to say, what was that all about? Yeah. So, and you're open to that sort of conversation. Cause again, I suppose for our internal audience, yeah. some of our younger staff members, they might come into the business and think that this is the sort of acronym language that they are supposed to know. Yeah. Uh, but I can I openly say that as someone who's relatively new to the business, I'm still asking a lot of questions of people when they think they're talking in a language they talk in every day. Yeah. Um, they don't assume that I should get it. And they're certainly not offended if I pull them up and say, can you just explain DMP to me or can you 
reiterate what you just said, but without the acronyms. Absolutely. They're certainly open to that. It's just that because you talk to each other about the stuff you do every day, it's yeah. just a lot easier to fall into that um, style of language. Yeah. And so the point I'm making is if young people don't get it yeah. or if people don't understand programmatic and amnet, there is no issue with coming to you guys and asking you. Absolutely. There's no I, stupid question. Absolutely. The education piece of programmatic is so important as we progress. And that's not just, um, you know, uh, within a programmatic expert business, I think it's out has to go out to educational institutions. I think if the future is going to continually evolve and programmatic being a, a large portion of that, yep. um, we need to educate the masses so everybody is on board with where media buying is moving towards. And um, you know, uh, if if you um, take the opportunity to learn programmatic, it, it will only add more um, to your toolkit. And in terms of ROI, where do you think it sits? Return on investment and sort yeah. of being able to measure success. You talked before when you've got very early exposure to display yeah. um, that you had the call to action phone number. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not sure that exists as much nowadays. No, it doesn't. How, so how to, from a programmatic perspective, is there a difference or correlation to that the, the return on investment and how you would um, communicate to some of your clients around the success of a campaign? Yeah, um, as we evolve and we move towards, um, let's say, addressable media buying, Yep. Right, and you think of how are we able to utilize data, target the individuals that we feel are are um, the audience that we want to hit for any brand that we're working with. The ability to utilize data and technology will effectively uh, reduce the wastage of your ad spend when you're trying to achieve the outcome of a campaign, and um, when utilized um, with the right strategy and the right right context um, and the right creative, um, the the outcomes are greater. Yeah, and addressable marketing is just going to continue to be one of those words and those topics that is delved into deeper and deeper in the coming months and years because we are particularly dense we just network. We've got some exciting stuff around the corner. We can't say too much about it now, but there is going to be some really exciting opportunities for us. Absolutely, and I'm very excited for those for those opportunities. I think um, the Dense Ages Network is 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 in what you can say pole position of data is our big bet. We've made no absolute. mistake of that globally. Our global leaders have reiterated that. Regional leaders have done the same. And Simon Ryan, our CEO, is really pushing hard for the value of data and um, addressable marketing. Absolutely, and um, the correlation of addressable marketing into programmatic. Um, if you think of Programmatic 1.0 being a way of buying media and that being done in real time. Then you move to Programmatic 2.0, which is um, audiences and data management platforms and the ability to uh, message to a wide group of people that you see the interest and the behaviors are what we're trying to achieve. You take Programmatic 3.0 and that is very powerful. And those that are moving to that programmatic 3.0 environment of addressable uh, people-based marketing, um, that is the future of programmatic. So now maybe we'll go into some of those um, hot buttons or the issues that we see, not just from a regional perspective, but a global one. 
Sure. Transparency. Just sure. leave it hanging in the air. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're all dealing with it. And I'm not yeah. saying it's purely a programmatic issue, mm. but it is one that clients are mentioning. Yes. Big and small. Yeah. How do you broach the topic of transparency? Or first, how do you define transparency? Yeah. And then how do you approach it with clients who believe that it's an issue? Uh, I define transparency as trust. Um, and I think there is um, an opportunity to um, develop greater greater trust in the uh, transparency conversations around programmatic. And um, when we when we think of how quickly programmatic has grown, um, it's not just grown out of capabilities, but also investment. Um, it's not five percent or or below of budgets that are going to programmatic, where this potentially could be a test thing and let's try it out. Now we're talking about brands who are spending thirty, fifty, seventy percent of their of their budgets in programmatic, and therefore a greater scrutiny comes and a spotlight around where that investment is, and 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 rightfully so. And I think the the conversation around transparency has to be able to have the conversation around the value proposition, have the conversation around uh, the ability to look at business outcomes and um, come to uh, an agreement around what the deliverables are. And it's, a, it's an opportunity to have um, a joint conversation. And I think transparency is informing us to move in that type of conversation and um you know we're we're um definitely open of those conversations and you're really confident in the way you're answering that and i like that we, we haven't practiced the response yeah you know some people would think that there is something to hide we are absolutely transparent yeah but at the same time i think we're also entitled to make money absolutely you know whether it's the, the value of the technology in our products the data we've got or the excellent minds that sit behind the products and the data we we can't continually be apologizing for making money. No. And I think that's something important. And I'll say it. You don't need to say it. I sure. just think it's something important for our, not just our people, but also the clients to understand. And I think that conversation is getting a lot better. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's getting better. And, um, you know, it's a healthy conversation. If you're having it in in the right way, it's a po- it's a it's a positive, healthy conversation. Yep. You um, the outcome should be a closer relationship with your with your clients, and um, that that's the true outcome that you want to have is to be closer to your clients, be able to achieve the outcomes and the deliverables and the and the business outcomes that the the client is looking for. Um, quality inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one of those phrases that comes up sometimes in relation to programmatic and making sure that the inventory we're buying is mm. of the quality that we expect. Sure. View on that. Um, relationships. Yeah. Right. If uh, if you said transparency, I said I say trust. Uh, if you think of quality of inventory, I think relationships. Now, um, I, you know, I'm I'm really um, I really believe that. Dentsu, uh, Aegis Network here regionally, globally have fantastic relationships with our with our publishers and media owners and our partners. And with that relationship, you create um, uh, a two way open conversation of ensuring that the um, the leverage and the economies of scale is unlocking the ability to provide the right media, the right quality for our clients uh, in each of our markets. And I, and I think that 
is the key difference of quality of inventory. And then, you know, you can go into the, the tactical conversations of how that media is being bought. Um, but the relationships and the, and the marketplaces that you create with those publishers or those media owners is key. Google? I, I use it every day. Um, uh, but, you know, I think Google's an interesting one. Um, there was, a, I guess, everybody who was in our industry experienced some of the brand safety concerns that came up with YouTube. Um, I think... Which uh, they were very proactive in dealing with, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. We were, we were, we were one of the first to, to um, um, be well ahead of what actually transpired and we were well prepared for that and had, um, had all of our ducks aligned in the brand safety world. And I think when you work for um, our brands, brand safety is the number one priority. Yeah, and it is for Dense Regis Network. And again, the power of being such a large network, um, 50,000 staff, yeah. front and center with publishers locally and globally. Uh, when we get on the phone, yeah. uh, it's collaborative, but they also listen. Absolutely. And um, the call to arms was very prompt. Uh, again, continue to challenge you. Only a couple more promises. No, no, sure. Uh, Facebook? Yeah, Facebook's... Um, I think Facebook's business is 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 changing, to be honest. Um, you know, I think usage is changing. The the um, how the platform is positioned, I think, is is changing. You know, the walled gardens that they're called of Facebook and Google. Um, it will be interesting to see how that dynamic evolves. As you know, there's um, other large players that are kind of on the peripheral that are that are trying to see how they're going to move in. You know, uh, there's a, is it, is it going to be the Amazon? Is it going to be the Alibaba? Is it, um, you know, through a lot of the mergers and acquisitions and the consolidations happening in marketplace where yeah. you see, you know, um, sales, the Salesforce acquisition or the Oracle acquisitions, um, AOL and Verizon. Yeah. And, and, and so I think um, Google and Facebook are, are in, a, in a duopoly at the moment. How long that will last, it's, we have to see. Might have to have a chat to you about that off air. There could be some financial yeah, association with whoever can predict that soon enough, I suppose. Or what is next? That's What's right. that next platform? Got to watch three to five years. Got to watch the movie Mar Marching Call again. Uh, <laughs> um, third party verification. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, we've been doing it for a long time and probably totally. didn't communicate it well enough early doors that we were one of the early adopters of it. We were, we were, we um, we were um, an early adopter of um, partnership with a, a company called Open Slate, which is which has uh, allowed us to um, have our brand safety um, layers across our our media, uh, which was being a positive outcome for us, um, and then also, you know. As brand safety consists, we have multiple third-party providers, and uh, and you know we recently, uh, uh, as a Dentsu Aegis Network, I've partnered with uh, IAS Integral Ad Science as well. Yeah. Um, and so again, I think the brand safety piece is is front and 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 top priority, especially working with the large brands that we have. And if you can just leave us with a really cool client case study, is there anything awesome you're working on at the moment or something that surprised you in terms of doing some work for a client as you step away from the microphone, try and think how to respond to this question without notice? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, we recently did a campaign um, that went from April to June this year, and it was um, a cost per acquisition campaign. And um, it was for... 
uh, a technology company within the group. Yep. And um, the performance started um, on par with competitors and ended out uh, seven times more efficient than our competitor set. And uh, that was housed in our performance product called Keystone, um, which was uh, launched early this year and uh, is one of the products or programmatic solutions that we uh, have rolled out, including what the work we're doing with uh, programmatic TV, um, a great partnership we've created with Snapchat. Um, so there's um, some exciting product and solutions that we've rolled out so far this year and more to come. I've really enjoyed our time together, Andy, and I think we're going to be doing this again uh, sooner rather than later. Again, it's the longest one we've recorded, but I've done that for a reason. Uh, your personal story is really inspiring, and I'd love to learn more from you in terms of how sport, leadership, discipline correlates to your corporate life. Um, again, I just feel like I'm a real underachiever when I'm standing here with someone who's done so much at such a young age and also can just continue to teach me about an area of our business that's not just exciting but should be absolutely something everyone across our network is considering uh, learning more about doing on behalf of their clients yeah. or talking those of their clients who might have had a bad experience historically yeah. turning that around yeah, absolutely some of the products are stand out you're a standout individual your team is great uh, and i look forward to having you back if you've got a question for india or anyone at amnet um hit us up podcast at densoegis.com uh indy carver thank you so much mate really and enjoyed your time andrew thank you very much i've had a great time and i appreciate that thank you anytime see you again soon